0: your Bible up tonight to Isaiah chapter number seven. Isaiah chapter number seven. And let's see what the Lord would speak to us tonight. Isaiah chapter seven. And then we're going to be at Luke chapter one, and we're going to look at some passages that kind of speak together. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, reads like this. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And if you're thinking, yes, we did read that last week. So we're hitting a different aspect of it tonight. Then Luke chapter 1, we're going to read 12 verses here from Luke's account of this passage. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. "...to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women." But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth the Son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father's David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel said and answered to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Uh, therefore also the Holy One who was born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and is now in the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible." And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Um, Tonight, I'm gonna be talking about from our series, God with Us, uh, for another few moments tonight, the subject, born of a virgin. Born of a virgin. You know, there's a lot of aspects of the Christmas story that I've taught through the years, but I've gotta be completely honest with you tonight. Um, In 16 years of being a pastor, of preaching the gospel, preaching through the Bible, and various things like that, this is the first time I can honestly remember, I've looked through notes, I've looked through um, other resources that I have, it is the first time ever that I've solely preached a message specifically on the virgin birth of Christ, and I don't know why. Why? I've tied it in with other things, but never solely by itself. And so there are aspects of the Christmas story that we talk about that are so vitally important. But believe it or not, this small piece of the story is monumental. In fact, I want to tell you that there's some things about Christmas that are so important. uh, And actually, let's backtrack that. There's some things about Christianity that are so important that if you remove them from the story, the whole thing unravels. Um, How many of you know the resurrection of Jesus Christ is pretty important? Um, I mean, Easter, we celebrate it. Some people like to call it Resurrection Sunday instead of Easter. It doesn't really matter to me. But we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And if you take the resurrection out of it, Paul wrote very plainly to the church of Corinth. He said, if there be no resurrection, our faith is futile and we are in vain. In other words, without the resurrection of Jesus rising from the dead... Christianity is a farce because the whole thing is built on Jesus resurrecting. So I believe that's pretty important. Um, Another aspect of the Christmas story or Christianity just in a whole of, of great importance is the virgin birth. But the question tonight is why exactly is the virgin birth so important? Here's why. The virgin birth is important. Because it solidifies Christ's perfect nature. Let me say it one more time. The virgin birth is important because it solidifies Christ's perfect nature. Now, um, when you start talking about Christianity, um, you have to have faith to believe the Bible. Now, the Bible is a book that has been proven. Uh, throughout centuries and uh, throughout decades, throughout archaeological tests, um, even people who are non-Christians have came out and said that, um, you know, historically um, there was Jesus of Nazareth. You know, Josephus was a Jew. He wasn't a Christ follower. But in his writings, consecutive with the times of Christ, Josephus even said, there was a man from Galilee, his name was Jesus, he was crucified, and he was even seen after the resurrection, walking or after three days after the resurrection, walking around Jerusalem. Um, there are all types of historical facts. You go to the Smithsonian, you go to the Bible Museum, you go to different places, and they show you the Dead Sea Scrolls, the actual plates, not replicas, the actual plates that they found that validate the Bible. You can go to the ancient city of Jericho where Um, Several years ago, archaeologists dug up ruins from the walls of Jericho where God said that they fell flat. And literally, God opened up the ground just like Korah and his rebellion in the Old Testament and just like an elevator, pushed the walls of Jericho down into the ground. It's been found. It's been proven. Um, So many different things about Christ, about his, his life, about the New Testament, whether or not it's the Apostle Paul or Peter, have been proven. For instance, in Rome, you can go to the very place where, where Paul was uh, imprisoned there in Rome. Um, you can go to uh, many places where the disciples walked and where Jesus walked. Yet, even with all of that, there are still things about the Bible that require faith. But the great thing is, is that our Christianity does not require a blind faith. But it does require faith. You know, it takes faith to believe that God parted the waters. Okay, of the Red Sea with Moses. I don't know about you, but um, I've never seen waters part. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened, doesn't mean it won't happen again, but I've never seen it. Um, Also, it takes faith to believe that God made the sun to stand still, like he did in the Old Testament but I believe he's God. He controls the science and the wind and the waves, and he can do whatever he deems to please. Uh, it also takes faith to believe that a giant fish, right, swallowed up Jonah, and he stayed in his belly for three days, and Jonah was not completely digested uh, by uh, the whale. That takes faith. It takes faith to believe a lot of things in the Bible, but one thing that flies in the face of science and nature it's this concept that we're talking about tonight, and it's the virgin birth. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are great debates, great theological discussions, and great non-spiritual, secular discussions around the subject of the virgin birth. And many people um, have sought to debunk or to completely demystify, if you will, the virgin birth, and many have gone on to even say that there was no such thing. Uh, In fact, many Hebrew scholars who are not messianic, in other words, they don't believe in Christ, uh, would even go as far to say that Isaiah 7 was not uh, about um, Mary or Jesus. Because in the Hebrew language, the word virgin there um, one meaning of that could actually simply just mean a young girl. And so, you know, people who are skeptics, people or whatever, they would say, well, you know, you know scientifically, um, it's just not possible for that to happen, you know. I mean, after all, we're all adults in here tonight. A- after all, God created Adam and Eve, did he not? Not Adam and Steve and not Adam or Eve and Sue. He created Adam and Eve. And what did he tell them? Be fruitful and multiply. He made them the same but different, compatible to produce. Uh, Scripture said every seed produces after its own kind. Animal after animal, fruit after fruit, humanity after humanity. And and so what we see is that uh, God created this and he put it into motion. And so the carnal mind or the natural mind, cannot comprehend the fact that at that Eve or I'm sorry rather that Mary gave birth to Christ by just divine conception they can't believe it and they'll try their best to reason away the passage of Isaiah 7 and say that it simply wasn't the case but tonight I want to just share with you some simple very very simple biblical interpretation see here's what I believe I believe that For the most part, the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible, right? The Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. We never take one verse, make a doctrine out of it. We never take one little thing and and try to make it law. You know, the Bible does say out of the mouth of every two, two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So you just look in Scripture and you just see, what else did God have to say about it? Now, it's interesting to me because, as I said, Scripture interprets Scripture. So what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, if we jump from Isaiah 7 and we go back to Luke 1, I want you to go back there with me, and I want to look at it again tonight for a few moments. Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, everybody say virgin, okay? All right, we want to, what we're doing tonight, we want to establish tonight with the Scripture, we want to establish what is meant by this word virgin, okay? To a virgin who was betrothed, or that's, that's another way of saying engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice! Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. By the way, stop right there. Um, anytime you see somebody in the Bible that has an encounter with an angel, they tend to have this reaction. It's, it's fear, trepidation, uh, it's kind of uh, what in the world is going on, why is this angel talking to me, okay? So notice this, she, she said, she was trying to consider what manner of salutation or greeting this was, and verse 30 says, then the angel said to her, do not fear or do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Right? We, we talked about that Sunday. What's in a name? Jesus. Okay? Alright. then It goes on from there. He will be great. Verse 32. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Okay? I can explain that terminology a little bit later. But you actually can trace Jesus' lineage back down through David. So... Notice this, um, verse 33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob, or Israel, forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, look at this, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Is everybody following me tonight? Okay, I told you we wanted to establish what does the word virgin mean. Uh, in this passage because ancient Hebrew scholars and, and uh, even some secularists as well who would love to debunk Christianity would would tell you that, um, that Isaiah was not referring to this particular aspect that he was dealing with, you know, maybe just some young girl who gave birth and blah, blah, blah. But what does Luke say? Luke said the angel came to a virgin named Mary, gives the message, and Mary's response is, How will this be, seeing that I do not know a man? Now, the Bible is is written in Greek, Koine Greek in the New Testament, which is common Greek, and the Old Testament in Hebrew. Well, in Hebrew, uh, in the Old Testament, when you see Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, right, it's the uh, creation of man, the earth, and God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Right. Well, when you have Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And then um, what we see a few verses later is the Bible says this in the Old Testament. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore a son. Now, as I said a moment ago, I don't think any of us in this room need an anatomy or a biology lesson but the connotation there was that Adam knew Eve intimately. That word know means that he went into her on their marriage night or their coming together night, and they produced a child. In other words, man's seed with woman's egg produced life. That was God's creation. That was his plan. God blessed that with Adam and Eve. So, Over in the New Testament written in Greek, it's interesting because when you look at the word know here in Luke one thirty-four, it's the Greek word, but it's the same Hebrew meaning as in the Old Testament. It means to know intimately as man with wife. So what, what Mary was trying to say is, I'm a virgin, meaning I am sexually pure. I've never had intimate relationship with a man. I'm betrothed to this man, which by the way, in Hebrew culture, it was a shame um, for a woman to not be a virgin on her wedding night. There were very strenuous things that they had to test and all of these things. And I'm telling you, it was, it was a different day back in those days. And so she, she and, and, and knowing that, lets us understand why Joseph freaked out the way he did. I mean he was ready to hit the road and go AWOL. I mean, you know, what are people gonna think of me? I'm a good Jewish boy and my my fiance's pregnant and we're not married, you know? And so uh, bad deal. But but God solidifies in this passage through the Holy Spirit, through Luke chapter chapter one, verse um, verse thirty-four, that Mary did not know a man. So tonight we have to put the connection together. That what God meant and what Isaiah meant was that that uh, Mary was pure. Now, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice this when we look in our passage tonight. He said, "You'll." Uh, he goes on to talk about it. Mary says, how can this be that I do not know a man? Verse 35, and the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Then he goes on to talk about Elizabeth, and which is John the Baptist's mother, and, and those things, and starts talking about that. And Mary said, verse 38, behold the may servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Now, tonight, as we're looking at this, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is the significance of the virgin birth of Christ? And so tonight, if you're taking notes, and you should have your notes in the app tonight, here's three thoughts that I think are significant as we look at the virgin birth. The first one is this. Number one, the reason why it's significant is because it reveals the nature of his conception. It reveals the nature of... Of his conception. It was a supernatural conception. As we've said over and over again over the last few weeks, there was this was no ordinary baby in this manger. Jesus was different than any other human that ever was and ever will be because he was perfect. He was literally the Son of God, God in flesh, God incarnate. Why? He had no human father. Joseph, though Joseph raised him, Joseph was not his biological father. Why? Because he did not have the seed or the DNA of Joseph in his life. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Also, his mother was a virgin. She had not known a man. So in this whole thing, the nature of this is that it was supernatural. Um, When he showed up, it was supernatural. As I referenced uh, in prayer just a moment ago, in Bethlehem, uh, the angels are out there looking for the Passover lamb that they raise in the, in the shepherd's fields of Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, a star appears and the glory of the Lord shines all around them. And, and, and as they're looking for this lamb... Uh, you know, that would be perfect and presented to the priest for uh, the Passover sacrifice. He comes and says, Behold, a sign will be given to you. A baby will be born in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And let alone, these shepherds were out looking for the Lamb of God, for the Lamb to be presented to God. And the angels came and told them about the Lamb of God. So it was interesting how all of that happened. Everything was supernatural about it. But tonight, we need to realize that the the virgin birth of Mary is important because it talks about how Christ was a supernatural person. He was set apart by God with a purpose. You know, folks, all of us are born with a purpose. God has a purpose for every one of our lives. Um, You know, it's always sad to me. When a person commits suicide and they get to a place either of, either of uh, being overwhelmed or they get to a place of, of mental illness where they're not making rational decisions and something drives them to the point in their life where they want to end it because they feel like they're worthless or they feel like they don't have anything to offer. That always saddens me because the, the Bible teaches we're made in the image of God. and The Bible says God has a purpose for us. We may not know that purpose, but God has a purpose for us, and His desire is for us to find that purpose and fulfill that purpose and to walk in that purpose. But Jesus' purpose was set apart from the foundation of the world. Why? Because this was not a plan B for salvation. The Bible said in, in the book of Revelation that John, when he saw Jesus in Revelation, he said he was like a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, God, didn't God, God when he sent Jesus, he, he saw the end from the beginning. And he set it all up perfectly for us. And so what do we see? We see a supernatural virgin birth. Because Christ was set apart for a purpose. Now, number two. Here's the second thing that I would share with you. Number two, we see the support of his conception. Church history literally confirms and records this doctrine from the foundation of the church. Um, Why is that important? Because it's not a new doctrine. It's not something somebody made up. It's not a conspiracy theory or anything like that. The earliest of church fathers, from origin to all of the different ones, state in early church history, in our doctrine, in our dogma, in our creed, Christ born of a virgin. It's something that, that, that history supports. But not only history, but scripturally, it supports that the virgin birth is God's explanation of the incarnation and it gives support to Christ's sinless life, which would not have been possible had he had the, uh, the DNA and been the offspring of a natural father. Why? Because the reason why it's so important about Jesus coming from a virgin womb is because had Joseph been involved in the process at all. In other words, the seed of a man mixed with the egg of a woman, what would have happened is Jesus would have inherited the sin nature. What it would have happened. God circumvented the process because he wanted God in flesh, he wanted the, um, uh, something to die that looked like us and walked like us in our place as our sacrifice. And so God did what he had to do. Man was not capable of being able to be a savior for his own self. And so what did he have to do? He had to go and send his own son in human flesh to be a sacrifice. So we've got to look at the support of his conception uh, in church history, scripturally, and also um, the apologetic reasons. The apologetic study of Scripture is is the defense, if you will, of doctrine or truth. Now, like I said a moment ago, if the virgin birth is not real, then all of Christianity falls apart. If Jesus was just like every other person, then what we, what we find is that then he's under the curse of Adam, just like everybody else. He couldn't have been the Savior. He couldn't have been the Messiah. And you and I are damned for eternity because we would die in our sins. That's why it's so important to realize that Jesus Christ was a pure bloodline. Hallelujah so important. Lastly, and I'm not anywhere near finished, but lastly, I want to spend some time on this next one. We got to look at the significance of his conception. The significance of his conception. I mean, what if we just left this out? What if it what if it, you know, what if we just left this part away? What would the significance be? Here's the significance. You ready? First of all, it's a sign to the source of salvation. Man couldn't save himself. They've been trying for years. Men today are even still trying to save themselves. People are working themselves to death, economists and strategists and people who don't know God. They're trying to save the planet. They're trying to do all these things, and they don't realize man is incapable. They're incapacitated when it comes to the ability to save themselves. Yes, science is great. Medicine is great. Knowledge is great. But at the end of the day, God is the only one that possesses the knowledge needed, the power needed, and everything that is needed to bring redemption To all of humanity. So, the significance of the Immaculate Conception, as we've been talking about from the beginning, is this is God with us. See, we got to understand. I love the way the scripture said it God is in heaven and we are on earth, so let our words be few. That was one of the biblical writers. We understand theoretically, God is a spirit, He's omnipresent, He's everywhere at the same time. But what the writer of this, that scripture was trying to state was that we are humanity, and he is deity, and we are not on the same plane. And God is in heaven, and I am on earth. And he said, so therefore let my words be few. What was he trying to say? There's a separation. And throughout all of eternity, uh, eternity past from Genesis with the sin in the garden, the sacrifices in the temple all of the judges, the priests, the laws, all of the things in the Old Testament, man was separated from God by their sin only to be temporarily satisfied by a sacrifice that had to be re-upped or renewed over and over again. But what is the significance of this immaculate conception? God got involved in the sinfulness of man because when man could not get to God God came down to man that's the significance of it Christ got in the middle of the mess man is so important what else is the significance of this not only is this the sign of our salvation but it but this kind of goes along with it but it was a sign of God's judgment on our human nature Why? Because it shows that our race, the human race, which needs a Savior, could not and cannot produce one. Our help must come from outside of ourselves. Now, that will preach a whole message in and of itself. Because the truth of the matter is, we are hopelessly lost without Christ. Um, I, I like to tell people this all the time. Um, you know, people say, well, God's in control. God's in control. And I know what they mean when they say that. God is all-powerful. Um, but, you know, God's, what, God's decree that he gave Adam in Genesis to uh, have dominion over the earth and to repopulate it and subdue it, he never took that back. And the reason why he's got to come back and renovate the earth and make a new one is because we've not done a very good job with it. Amen? Seriously. I mean, God's going to re, uh, renovate this entire earth by fire, according to Peter. Everything you missed church to build, everything that you skipped out on God to collect, it ain't going to matter a hill of beans when you die. He's going to blow it up with a blowtorch from heaven. And the only thing that's going to stand is what you've done for eternity. Listen, this earth, they can try to save all the... And listen, I think we ought to be good stewards of the earth. I think we ought to take care, not litter. Amen? If you've ever been to a third world country where they just throw trash wherever it lands, it's nasty. I think people ought to take care of stuff. But listen, all the ecologists and economists can do everything they can to save the trees and save the planet. But I read the book. And the book says it doesn't matter what you do to it. He's going to renovate it by fire and make a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, it's 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 awesome. God's going to do that. He's going to renovate it. Why? Because man has been in control in the essence of doing things in the earth, in government, in politics, and things. And yes, God's kingdom is exercised through His church. But listen, I'm telling you, Jesus said to pray, "My kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Because His will's not always done on earth. Oh, pastor, God's will's always done, really. Then why is there abortion? Why is there murder? Why is there rape? Come on now. Why are kids shooting up people in school? Because God's will, perfect will, is not always done in the earth. Man has done a horrible job. And man cannot produce salvation in and of themselves. That's why Jesus had to skip the bloodline of Adam. And God had to do something supernatural. By creating somebody who was... 100% 100% God and 100% man. And that is Christ Jesus. The virgin birth makes, makes possible Christ's humanity without inherited sin. I love the way the book of Romans declares it. Romans declares it like this. By one man, Adam, sin entered the world. And I want you to think about that. Adam and Eve, and the Bible, Eve was the one that ate the fruit, but the Bible says that by Adam it entered, and I think there's some some things to be said right there, Um, but the truth be told is that Adam and Eve's decision affected everybody. Everybody. I mean, inherently sinful. Now, we can get into the discussion of, you know, what happens to babies when they die, and does the Bible teach in age of accountability and all of that stuff? And we, we could talk about that. And, and I, I do believe children, babies, you know, go to heaven and stuff like that. And so we're not going to get into all of that. But, but I want to say this without murking or muddying those waters. Man is born with an inherent sinful nature. And, and man is not born necessarily saved. Man is born lost. Scripture teaches that. That's why Jesus said you must be born again twice. You know, and he said uh, in John 3, remember the story of Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus by night, he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, there's none good but God. And he begins to talk to him about different things. And, and um, uh, that was a rich young ruler, but Nicodemus rather, uh, Jesus told him, um, you know, he said, what must I do to be born again or to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, how is it that I can go back into my mother and and be born again, being that I am old? And Jesus said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And Jesus was speaking about the new birth, the spiritual birth. So, look at this. Through Adam, sin entered the world. But then the same scripture in Romans also tells us, but that through one man, Christ Jesus, Righteousness came unto all. So what Adam, or the Scripture calls him the first Adam, lost through disobedience. Christ, Jesus, the last Adam, Scripture calls him, regained through his obedience. So guess what? Because Adam sinned, all men are born inherently sinful. But because of Christ coming to the earth and ultimately his sacrifice, gives all men opportunity to be saved. Now, all men are not automatically saved just because Jesus was born and just because Jesus died and just because Jesus was raised from the dead doesn't mean they're automatically saved. But it gives them an opportunity to be saved because of what Christ did. Now, the significance of the virgin birth is this, is that had Jesus been born of a natural union, none of that would even be possible. None of it would be possible. Why? Because there were great men of God that God used in the Old Testament. I mean, God used David, didn't He? But David messed up. He was sinful. God forgave him. There's consequences. Ezekiel was a good man. God used him. Uh, Paul was a good man. God used him. Peter was pretty good. He messed up a few times. God used him. But even all of these people in the Bible who God used, they had issues. They had issues. And issues are sometimes a soft word for us to use because we don't like to think of the word sin. But David, huh, he didn't just have an issue. He sinned. Come on, somebody. I mean, I'd call it lust, adultery, and murder and cover up uh, Pre, you know, sin, I'd call that sin. I would call Samson what well, he did, sin. You know, um, there, there are people in the New Testament that, that, you know, they did things that, you know, were not perfect. And God, there's still recorded history of God using people who were perfect. And that's great. But, here's the caveat. In order to be a sacrifice for sin, you couldn't just be good. You had to be perfect. You had to be perfect. You see, there are a lot of Passover lambs that were born and a lot of lambs in Bethlehem that were born. that were good lambs. I'm sure they would have tasted good if you would have cooked them. and I mean, they would have made great pets, but they just didn't qualify. God's standard because this one over here, you know, he, he had some spots or some freckles or, or this one over here just maybe uh, had a limp that he walked with or, you know, maybe he had some kind of impediment that was birth defect or whatever. And so, you know, God, God used people in the Bible who had issues. But to be the Savior of the world, God's sacrifice had to be perfect. So get this, the incarnation of Christ, which simply means Christ becoming flesh, Christ mass, God present, God with us, Emmanuel. While all of that is significant, is because God came in flesh and he lived among us, with us, and like us. And the book of Hebrews records it like this. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted as we were, yet without sin. I want you to think about this. Jesus came to earth, and I'm closing. Jesus came to earth. He lived his life. You know, he was mocked by his peers. Um, he was falsely accused. And Jesus is trying to help somebody. You know, he's trying to help somebody that, that had a drinking problem and somebody drove by and saw him, and they called Jesus a drunkard now, a wine bibber. They see him giving grace. a prostitute and now rumors are around town. uh, He's a friend of sinners as if it's a bad thing. Um, Jesus picks 12 people to be his disciples and yet one of them was the devil and ultimately turned him over for 30 pieces of silver. Kissed him with the kiss of betrayal. Jesus prophecy in the Old Testament said in Psalm, I was wounded in the house of my friends. Man. Think about Jesus could have got angry to the point of sin, but he didn't. Jesus could have got angry to the point of lashing out, but he didn't. You know, you think about this. Most significant moment of his life, Luke records, The baptism of Jesus by John, his cousin, whom Luke chapter 1 refers to Elizabeth being pregnant. John is baptized by Jesus. The heavens open up. A voice from heaven, the Holy Spirit ascends on him in the form like a dove. And the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the very next chapter says, And the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was hungry. I bet he was And the devil came and said, if you're the son of God, do this. If you're the son of God, do that. He showed him the kingdoms of the world. He said, jump off of here. You can call the angels. Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Turn these stones into bread. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What am I trying to say to us tonight about the virgin birth? I want to close with this one-liner statement. Jesus was both God and man. I want you to get that. Jesus was not 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. But, everybody say but. Here you go. I'm going to leave you with this one tonight. He was man enough to sympathize with us. But he was God enough to save us. I want you to think about that. That's why God had to send Jesus in the form of human flesh that was sinless. Because he was man enough to be compassionate towards us. But he was God enough to save us.